I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone. Touch them all, Joe Maurer. And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Hey guys, welcome to this episode of the Touch Em All podcast, brought to you by Derek's Purple Picnic-themed shirt yeah, that he's wearing right I, now. I think it's a cross-stitch. I don't know if it's actually a picnic blanket. Uh, it looks good. It's a very uh, it's a very fall-like shirt, and hopefully the Twins will be playing baseball yeah. into the fall. Actually, it, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, they might well be playing important games straight into the heart of sweater weather, so I'm yeah. all for that. Well, it's been, it's been a long time. I mean, they played some important games in September a couple years ago, but like the last time you felt a true crisp in the air when the Twins were playing baseball and meaningful games was 2010. And I so I, I think we should do two things on this podcast. We should definitely get to the eight unsung heroes on this team, the eight players that you are writing about for 1500ESPN.com that have, that have really helped this team go from historically bad to maybe a historically great comeback in the standings over the course of 12 months. But I had this conversation with my radio co-host Judd Zolgad earlier today. We're recording this on a Tuesday, Twins playing in Tampa Bay. And, and I said, you know, the Twins have lost three out of four. It feels like you see, Barrios got hit around a little bit. It feels like, okay, they're still in control of a wild card spot. But what if they're slipping again? And we've said that about nine times this season. And I said it would be kind of a buzzkill if like now they rolled off a losing streak with the weakest schedule of any of the wild card contenders. And he said, you know what really wouldn't be because this is all house money. It's all you went to a blackjack table with five dollars, a five dollar chip. And now you're sitting there several hours later and several old fashions later, and there's like <laughs> models around you, yes. and you've got thousands of dollars, <laughs> and you're wearing sunglasses and some weird like Tommy Bahama shirt. And it's all the way buttoned down. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like you're just showing off your entire beer gut. For sure. You're just loving life. With the $5 chip you started with, it's all house money now. And, and, I, and I, I feel you, big picture, you're right, that this is all house money, that no one expected them to even be playing meaningful baseball past the All-Star break. But... If you were to just take the horse race from September 1st and you looked at strength of schedule, twins, check check the box. Mm-hmm. You looked at the lineups and Byron Buxton's breakout, Jorge Polanco's breakout, Bartolo Colon pitching competitively, you know, check another box for the twins, and spotted a two-game lead in the wild card race. Yeah. Now how do you feel if the race starts on September 1st given those factors? if they were to miss the playoffs. Right. And within those parameters, I would feel disappointed for the Twins if they didn't pay this up. No doubt. But let's go back to your Tommy Bahama friend, which, by the way... The new reality is like me at a blackjack table. Yeah, I was going to say, so first of all, we've all been there. But second of all, (laughs) that sounded like oddly personal and like very specific details. Replace blackjack table with poker (laughs) table and then like flip it around where you start with a bunch of money and then all of a sudden you're you're down to nothing by the end of the And you're hosting a Twins podcast by the time it's all said and done. So, uh, yeah, I mean, fall from grace. uh, So... I guess besides that like sort of very specific imagery, I think that the psychology of it, you're both right, and I know neither of you want to hear that. Only one of you can be right. I get it. But like 
in this case, I conceded that to him too. I said, okay. To your point, John has a point. You're right in that. Yes, this is all house money. If they were to lose every game the rest of the year, they still give you five plus months of really right. fun, good contending baseball. Yeah. So there's this theory, and I won't go too nerdy before we get into our unsung heroes. But like Daniel Kahneman is kind of considered the as one of the founding fathers of um, a field called behavioral economics, and and he's really actually Michael Lewis has a new book about him that I can't wait to read. It's on Kahneman and Amos Tversky for all my nerds out there. Uh, Michael it, Lewis, the author of Moneyball, right. to tie it back into baseball, exactly people. right, um, and Liars Poker and a number of other things, um, and Green Eggs and Ham. I think you're thinking of Dr. Seuss. Oh, I get those two mixed up. All yeah, the time. constantly, and so. I think that the the point here that I wanted to make about Kahneman is that we tend to, as humans, remember an experience based on how it ended. Like you could have had a great, you know, five year relationship, and it just like at the end of it, you guys, it, you know, it wasn't going to work out, and there was a messy breakup. You tend to think about that as a horrible relationship, and and in some cases, it's true. But or a failed relationship because it sure even though like four and a half years were amazing yeah. it just so, grew apart so in some way. The way that I think about it is like a calculus curve, and I'm just gosh, I'm going down too many nerdy paths. I'm really outing myself here, <laughs> but like for those four and a half years, you were accumulating positive area under the curve. Like it was all good. These are positive net value experiences, just like for the twins for five months. And then if you don't make the postseason or let's say what I think might happen, you go to the postseason and get bounced by Sonny Gray or something like that, it would be very disappointing. But we're just not very good at remembering the the overall positive that it would have been because if it ends messy, we tend to just remember it as like, ugh, that was a gross experience. It wasn't worth it. It's one of my favorite questions to ask just in general. If you're ever trying to chew radio time, ask people this question, Phil. If you're a fan of, let's pick on the Minnesota Vikings, would you rather 41 Donut, a just non-competitive laugher of a game where you never felt you had a chance, or like a heartbreaking overtime loss, or take the NFC Championship okay. game from 2009? Is- which would you prefer? And most people would say 41 Donut, which is ridiculous to me. This is a great thread. in Brett Favre's 09 uh, you know, NFC Championship game against the Saints, you sort of... You had all of this great drama that played out in front of you. You got to enjoy most of the game, and it ended horribly. So now your memories of it are terrible. But the point I'm just making is that just remember that your your experiencing self and your remembering self – don't always communicate very so, well. So, you know, I, I, I it's funny you bring this up because I actually did pose a very similar Vikings question to our radio audience like okay, a month ago. let's hear it. And the, and the question was, I think it was a statement, actually. It was a statement. And the hot take police force came out and pulled me I over. I said, the Vikings are known for being this devastating, heartbreaking franchise. But I would bet you over 50-plus years of Vikings football – the Vikings have delivered fans more joy and positive moments than heartbreak. And like 80% of the audience, we put this up on a, on a poll, disagreed okay. and said, right. well, I mean, like, well, but the 98 game, like, that's ridiculous. They've never won a Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. They lost four Super Bowls. Yep. And a couple they were at least favored in. They were crushed in heartbreaking fashion at the end of the 1998 and 2009 NFC Championship games. Mm-hmm. And then the 41 Donut game, so they went to an NFC Championship. And I said, you're right, but my point is about overall joy, not yeah. moments of heartbreak. Right. 
they've only really had like three or four seasons in their history where they were just like bottom of the barrel, not mm-hmm. competitive mm-hmm. in any regard. They haven't had interesting. Where the Cleveland Browns for fifteen years have been three and thirteen almost every season, or four and twelve. And the Vikings don't give you the three and thirteen season very often. Maybe once every fifteen years or so. This goes to my point. So I said, if like, while they're going ten and six mm-hmm. and winning the majority of their games and giving you Adrian Peterson two thousand yards or Brett Favre uh, hail mary touchdown pass in the back of the end zone, yeah. those are moments of joy that you're forgetting about and you're wiping away because all you can think about is the end of the season, right? Right. And if you're only in it for championship success at the end of the season. Is your life just always torturous if you're not a Patriots fan (laughs) (laughs) or a Yankees fan? There's the rub. It's interesting to me that 80% of your audience disagrees with the current findings in psychology that you had a good time. You had a good ride. You just – it didn't end well, and now you're remembering it for that bitter ending, not for the joy that it gave you throughout. So I guess to tie this all back in, we should, we should remember the five months of unexpected success that the Twins have given all of us here. Yeah. And also remember that unexpected success in sports as a sports fan is the second best sports high next to championship success, okay. which is very fleeting and rare. Well, so you might make a case that as a Minnesota sports fan or a Twins fan, You'll take your unexpected success where you can get it, and you won't complain. Let me say, too, that it sounds like we're putting the Twins to bed. I think the Twins are going to go to the postseason. I do, too. Like, I'll say that. I do, too. Um, at, at this point, I do, too. Yeah. So, like, it all sounds They wiped very... away a minus 75 That's run incredible. differential in one bleeping month until the Rays beat them by seven last night. I said this the other day, and it proved to be prophetic after they lost two games in a row. I said, I'm not sure the Twins can handle the pressure of having a positive run differential. Sure enough, zero and two since I made that. that yeah, and in fairness too, like I put out the "It's Happening" T-shirt <laughs> campaign again through fifteen hundred ESPN.com, and uh, I think immediately Byron Buxton came out with a, a hammet bone injury, yeah. but came back, hit a bunch of triples. You're funny, and and he's fine. His batting average is up to two sixty. The so ultimate sports me. jinx. Let me let me get into our list here of some guys who who I don't think are getting enough credit. There there should start with there's a number of people that have gotten credit and deserve credit. You just mentioned one of them. Byron Buxton, Brian Dozier, Eddie Rosario, Jorge Polanco, Irvin Santana, Jay O'Brails. Like Those the are twins, the obvious ones. The Twins are not here without those guys. And the point of my column isn't to rank order of yeah. contributions. It's just, hey, we're talking about those guys a lot. We have entire podcast episodes devoted to Byron Buxton. I did a huge Five Thoughts column on Buxton's emergence into sort of this territory where he's Bordering on superstardom. So we talk about those guys plenty. Here are eight guys that I don't think have gotten the shine that they deserve, and I guess we'll just kick through them if you want to. Go one by one. Sure, you go ahead. You name them, and then at some point I might have to tell the audience about one of my favorite car dealerships, but we'll get there. Yeah, I was wondering when that part might come up. <laughs> uh, the top guy that like we've picked on a lot this year, and he deserves a ton of credit for his turnaround, is Matt Belisle. He went from being, I think personally, one of the worst relievers or most unreliable relievers in all of baseball to suddenly being the best or second best reliever on a team that might be going to the postseason and he's not doing it by fluke. So he's striking people out all the time too. In an in an odd way, does it make you more confident in Derek Falvey and Thad Levine? And we've we, you and I are both very high on that tandem. 
that they were they were ushering players off the roster left and right and cycling through pitchers. And Matt Belial was two and a half months into a train wreck season, and they clearly saw something that screamed at them, "No, this this is leading toward a turnaround. He's going to be a viable pitcher in the second half. Do not date DFA him." I mean, obviously, like. He gave them a terrible performance in the first half of the year, and they were responsible for that, for adding him and the 8.5 ERA. But they clearly saw something in him when everybody else, including me, was shouting, just be done with the Matt Belial experiment. And Bartolo Colon, they said, you know what? There's something in this guy's process that just it makes sense to take a flyer on him. And they were right in both cases for the second half of the season. Yeah, so. well, and, and Cologne's on my list, so we'll get to that in a second. But on Belial, I don't know what it was. I have no idea what you missed, what I missed, what we as a general, you know, sort of amateur scouting public missed. He didn't have velocity. He didn't have great command. He wasn't getting swings and misses. He wasn't getting ground balls. He was giving up home runs. And he was giving up loud contact and blowing leads. You know what, though? I say good because, and this is I, you know, all due respect, I guess, to, to Terry Ryan big picture because Terry Ryan brought a lot of division championships to this town. But there were a lot of times in recent Twins history where a fan or somebody with a microphone could pretty easily say, well, that's a bad signing. Oh, wonder why they're doing this. That doesn't seem to make sense. And then... Fan or guy with microphone is correct right. way more often than not. And so if the new front office is seeing things that guys like you and I who are just more like scratching the surface and don't have access to the information, I want them to see things that yes. fans and guys with microphones don't see. 100%. I expect them to be smarter than me. I, I mean, I expected that with Terry Ryan as well. And, and there were a lot of things that we tend to brush over and, and they got right and I got wrong. Um, but... So far, I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying to come up with one off the top of my head where I said like, "Really, Derek Falvey? That, that's your move?" And then I proved to be right. I can't think of one off the top of my head right now. It's only been a year. I get it, but the Maple Isle thing has been just dumbfounding to me because since July 1st, I just pulled up his Baseball Reference page. Twenty innings, twenty and a third innings for Matt Belisle since the calendar turned to July. He's got a one point seven seven ERA. Opponents are hitting one sixty two off him, and he's got more strikeouts than innings by a lot. Yeah. Twenty seven strikeouts, five walks. Yeah, he's become a very good late inning reliever for the Twins, and it's not like he's uh you know he's not pumping ninety eight. He's not painting the corners. I don't know exactly what's changed in his process to allow him to have way, way better results. Maybe, maybe he's getting a little bit lucky when he was getting a little bit unlucky before, but that just shouldn't – it shouldn't be the difference between an 8 ERA and a sub-2 ERA. Yeah. It's been a, a phenomenal and, for me, inex- inexplicable turnaround. Well, I, I, I want to read you a, a text from someone who shall go nameless, but somebody with the Twins – observing the Derek Falvey uh, era here as it approaches one calendar year. I'm just going to read you this unedited from somebody who who knows the organization very well. All right. Uh, Awesome group, the new front office guys. And with Derek running this thing, it's going to be special for a while. He's a genius. Hmm. Wow. He hired Daniel Adler, who is 30 years old with three degrees from Harvard and started and sold a business when he was 22 years old. He had offers, this 
Daniel Adler. I met Daniel the other day too. We can talk about him in a second if so, you want. So okay, that'd be awesome because Daniel Adler built and developed research systems and and scouting systems, analytic systems for the Browns and the Jaguars in the NFL. Yeah. And as it was put to me, had a bunch of offers to work elsewhere, even outside of baseball, but wanted to work with Derek Falvey. Hmm. That's a super huge compliment to be paid to Derek Falvey. It's a completely different ball game here now. Is the text that was sent after that? Wow. Um, I'm trying to see if there's anything else in here. No, not really. Just now, it just kind of drifts on. But like, and I'm I'm not reading that to be like, hey, I'm I have access and I'm plugged in. I just think that's the thinking behind closed doors yeah. at Target Field that the 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 processes are different, the hirings are different. The Twins looked around and said, a lot of other smart front offices are hiring people from Harvard and MIT. How many Harvard and MIT guys do we have in here? None. Let's change that. Let's sure. bring in some more smarter people. With outside perspectives, if and you and I pounded on this drum for a long time, if you're doing an audit, which you should, of the people that you employ in your organization, if you're Jim Polad, be curious, have an appetite to understand what other teams and organizations are doing. Yeah. If you can't go line by line and sort of size up your various departments or department heads and then compare them resume wise, skills, communication, leadership, and all right. those things with the same positions in other organizations, if they don't stack up, then you're probably not bringing in enough outside influence. And that was the problem for a long time. Your question has to be, what's your competitive advantage in any business? And the Twins are no different. I mean, Major League Baseball is a little bit of a weird business sphere because they limit the number of companies that can enter the market and things like, things like that. But like you have, at its core, 30 businesses competing for the same goal, yeah. which is to win a lot of games and make a lot of money. Ultimately, now, if you aren't going to spend, this is the thing that I keep drawing for people. When my friends ask me, like, what should the twins, what are they hanging their hats on now? And I think that was kind of drifting for a while. But if you're stacking the twins up against the Dodgers, the Dodgers are going to spend more money on free agents, period. International market, that market might be changing, you know, how much money you're allowed to spend, and, and and they're probably trying to keep that as competitive as possible. And maybe someday there's just like an international draft and the marketplace is sort of equalized that way. But resources, if you're competing on resources like financial dollars in a league that doesn't have a salary cap and there are other businesses that have more capital like the Dodgers – or the Yankees, or the Red Sox, or even the White Sox could spend a lot more money than you. Like, how are you going to compete? Just get lucky? You're just going to hope that your group of employees that you hired from a secondary pool is going to be better than the blue-chip employees that these other organizations hire? No, you can't do that. So then go to the side of the fence that we don't pay a lot of attention to that's not popularly covered in mainstream media – whether it's analytics, baseball research, scouting, whatever you want to term it, any of this other, these other inputs that go into building a great business and trying to unearth some of these market inefficiencies or competitive advantages for the Twins, if you're also not spending there, but the Dodgers are, or uh, you see the Brewers really building out their staff. Yeah, like, then, then like, what are you doing, right? What, what are you winning in? And if mm-hmm. the answer is, I don't know, then then what are you doing? Yeah. Why are you competing in it's, this business? It's the elevator pitch game. If you can't, you know, if if you can't as an organization explain in a sentence or two 
what your advantage is or what's like, okay, what's the point? How do you win? Sure. And um, you could play this game up and down the board, right? If you're the if you're the Rays, you'd say, you know what, uh, elite athletes and defense. And, Let me take this a step further. When you're the Rays, it's harder to compete long term because you might find some secret that nobody else has. Like, uh, oh boy, for 15 years the market has really been undervaluing ground ball pitchers. So we're gonna go get 30 guys who can get a 60 percent ground ball rate. Like, I don't know how you do that, but like, go do it. Go stack your minor league with ground ball guys or teach another pitch or whatever. Organizational philosophy is ground balls and slick fielding infielders. All right, great. Well, that might work for you for a year. You might win 90 games with talent that most people didn't think could go to the playoffs. You might go to the playoffs. You might mess around. But now everybody knows what your secret was one year into implementing that secret. Now everybody knows, boy, the Rays didn't spend this year, I mean, but they just got a bunch of ground ball pitchers. Maybe we need to buy some of those guys off of that. Speaking of Moneyball and Michael Lewis, that's what happened to the A's, right? I mean, that 100%. book, I, that, in some ways, I'm sure the information would have, would have trickled out and teams would have figured out that, oh, batting average doesn't matter as much as it used to. And the ability to avoid an out is the most precious commodity in baseball. And the, it's not only is it the most important thing, but it's like going for a discount rate. Yeah, that's. And then that's the, what and I was the book say. comes out, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, okay, oh, let's. Yeah. We're, we're all, right. all just going to go get three sixty on base guys right. who oh, and, and once, use platoon advantages. It, Nick Swisher just proved that he's a good player, proving your theory, at least one of these theories. Somewhat right that there is a market inefficiency there. Oh, cool. He's a free agent. Right. So we're going to buy well, him. Well, you know, speaking of – so uh, another layer to this, market inefficiencies. Mm-hmm. One area the Twins have been better at than any other team in baseball, and some of this is just a product of who you have coming up through your pipeline. And um, and, and, it, and I'm not going to say that this is 100% planned out, but I think there's a very specific strategic effort made by the Twins to platoon as much as possible where it makes sense. The Twins have actually taken more left-handed at-bats against right-handed pitchers this season than any team in baseball. Mm -hmm. They've already taken more left-handed at-bats against right-handed pitchers than they did all of last season, including September. Hmm. Now, I'm not saying that statistically they are the best left-handed hitting team in the league, but if you know that you're going to face like 75% right-handed pitchers and you know that lefties by and large, statistically, are better hitters against right-handed pitching. Mm-hmm. You should try and line up lefties against righties as much as possible. And the Twins have done that more than any team in baseball with their lineup construction. Yeah, and I guess we should maybe stop hammering some of these points. But like, it does help that they have some switch hitters that are good and can play all the time. Mm-hmm. Robbie Grossman, Eduardo um, Escobar. Escobar, Jorge Polanco. To have guys that can do it from both sides definitely helps you from a platoon But they chose. they right. chose consciously... When right. people were asking, what the hell is Robbie Grossman on the roster for? Mm-hmm. Saying, well, he's not a dynamic five-tool player, but yeah. the guy gets on base like a machine, and he's a great platoon guy to have on your roster. Right. Yeah, he's back now, too, for the stretch run. That that should help the Twins. Um, the, the, just the final point, and I'll move on to the rest of my list, because this has been an awful lot of praise for Matt Belial. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that was some kind of a rabbit hole we just <laughs> went down. <laughs> Very aggressive <laughs> praise for... 37-year-old So Matt basically, Belisle. congratulations to all the Harvard professors right. for leading the Twins to Matt Belisle's second-half well, breakout. Well, just on market inefficiencies, and in that if, like, if you're the Twins and you find a market inefficiency, and then other teams are like, oh, weird, the Twins exploited that and it worked, we should be in that ballgame. That can happen every year. 
the clock resets on other rosters, whether you're investing in the international market or maybe it even trickles down to your draft strategy, but more likely free agents or trades and things like that. The market, I think, tends to seek its level, and I think it ha- it happens to seek its level much more quickly than it would have 25 years ago. If you were the first team to find out that defense matters an awful lot, I feel like you could have cashed in on that one for a while before other teams were like, oh, interesting. Uh, this uh, this Alex Gordon guy, pretty good out in left field. Maybe that's a bad example because of the dreadful year he's had at the plate, but you get my point that, oh, weird, rangy center fielder with a great arm who can't hit his weight is, always finds himself on in the middle of a great team that's going to the postseason? Hmm, I wonder what's happening here. Right. In the past, that might have taken some lag time to be caught up, and now I think that's more or less gone. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh Framing runs above average. Now other teams are like, oh, weird. The the Rays are employing defense-first catchers who can't hit a lick. Right. It's also something hmm. like you can you can teach how to frame probably easier than you can teach how to get on base at a higher clip. Right. There are certain sure. things that are more teachable. Right. And so now you, you, you start seeing fluctuations in the, the framing standings among you know individual catchers. What you'd better find then if you're a mid-market team like the Twins that's not going to spend more money, that's not going to outspend other teams on the way to a World Series, you'd better find a way to find those market inefficiencies. And right. I think that's the most positive thing that you can say in the first, what, nine, ten months right. of Derek Falvey's tenure is I think they're better at finding those things now than they would have been at this time last and year. And I think those inefficiencies were probably much more obvious and glaring when information wasn't quite as available. So sure. on-base percentage is a very glaring, obvious thing that teams were ignoring for some reason for a long time. Uh, I think overall you know, defensive areas. But now, and I'm making this up, I think market inefficiencies are things like have pitchers who can throw that four-spot strike with a fastball on the lower outside corner at a higher rate than the next team, right? Like, can you either teach or find pitchers that throw a specific pitch at a higher clip that you know gets outs, right? Like, yeah. really specific, we talked meticulously about that with, uh, scouted things like yeah, that. Yeah, we talked about that with, like, right-on-right change-ups. When Neil Allen started with the Twins, it was like, oh, uh, you oftentimes the old truism is same-handed change-ups aren't a good pitch because the batter is just going to get a good view of it. But the Rays found out that statistically... Actually, right on right changeups are pretty good. They yeah. rarely re- lead to home runs. You know, they're they're you know the expected damage against them just isn't as much. Maybe we should throw more of those. And anyway, that's kind of like just one interesting wrinkle on that sort of thing. Um, I keep promising we're going to finish this point and get on to the next guy, Trevor Hildenberger, who's also been great. But the last thing that I need to say about that is that like I think the competitive advantage that Derek Falvey is going to bring the Twins, and I'm just sort of speculating and based on some some conversations that I've had, but also just sort of straight up guessing, I'll be honest, I'm guessing. I think that a market inefficiency is maximizing the talent of pitching. And a lot of organizations are trying to do that, but if you can do it well, I think that you can win. What I mean by that is take Kyle Gibson. Here's his stuff. He's not going to add four miles an hour to his fastball. He's not going to add a ton of vertical movement at age 29 or horizontal movement or later break, I guess, unless he's Bartolo Colon. How do you take a Kyle Gibson and get the absolute most out of him? How do you make him his 99th percentile? Mm-hmm. Then how do you do that with a Barreos, an Irvin Santana, 
uh, Bartolo Colon, right? A Trevor Hildenberger, and dude, a I Matt Belial. I can tell you this too. Like some of this is like way too nerdy for a radio, but for pe- for people seeking out a Twins podcast, that in the description says that there's going to be geek speak. Yes. That we can like we can go in on some of this. Admit stuff. it, we're all nerds. We got that. Um, I I know that the Twins, and this goes back even to some degree before Falvey and Levine, they've put together different models for different pitchers, left and right handed, and their different stuff repertoires. So. If you are left-handed and you're like this tall and you throw this repertoire at this velocity and it moves to this degree, they can sort of categorize pitchers and explain based on history and data, here's how you should be attacking hitters yes. based on your stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, this is stuff that my head would explode if I was asked to go and decipher and like organize this information and right but here are the segments of your radio show that do exceptionally well, <laughs> and with your strengths and let's be honest, weaknesses, this is what you should be spending a lot more of your time doing. Right. So let's pause real quick here and get to the rest of the list, so that we can talk about the best car dealership and service department in the Twin Cities. It's Luther Brookdale Toyota, six ninety four on Brooklyn Boulevard is where you can find it. And one of my favorite parts about Luther is what I call the Luther Lounge, where you get not only. Uh, a top-notch facility and and waiting room, which is a really, I think waiting room is just. It's, uh, I, we should almost stop calling them waiting rooms when you're when you're talking about uh, like brand new stadiums, quote unquote, like the one at Luther Brookdale Toyota. You get two massive seventy-inch flat-screen TVs. You get six workstations, all with cable TV uh, menus of channels. You get free coffee, tea, snacks, a play area for the kids. So there's times where like I'll go get an oil change and they'll tap me on the shoulder and say, "Hey, hello, Mr. Mackey. Your car is ready. Your oil change is done." And I'll sit there and work and hang out and watch TV for like another hour because I'm I'm reading something or doing something and it's just so comfortable. So check it out. Find out why my family and I have been going to the same dealership and service department for 30 plus years. Luther Brookdale Toyota, 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard. All right, we were counting down a long time ago. We started with the the eight unsung heroes on this Twins team for why they're still playing relevant baseball. Matt Belial led to an amazing <laughs> diversion there, but Far too much. let's fly through the other seven. Here. Yeah, I think we have to go rapid fire, not because these guys deserve less credit, but because... Honestly, you're probably already home on your commute and just waiting for us to get done with the list. So <laughs> sorry for dragging this out way more than it deserves to be. But a guy who needs to be getting tons of credit is Trevor Hildenberger. Uh, the Twins trade Brandon Kinsler, not the only reliable reliever, but basically one of two reliable relievers in a bullpen that was already suspect. And then Taylor Rogers has kind of gone in the wrong direction. And you think, okay, well, great. The bullpen probably went to hell in a handbasket, right? No. Trevor Hildenberger has more or less replaced the production that they were getting from Brandon Kinsler, and that is like a pretty substantial development, not only for this year, but also for the future. The yeah. Twins probably found their setup guy. I mean, maybe it's a little bit early to say that, but he's got like a 25-to-1 strikeout-to-walk ratio since the All-Star break. Yeah. He's a ground ball pitcher with a devastating changeup. I think his ground ball rate something like 60%. When you have that plus a strikeout or more per inning. That's and you don't about walk about as perfectly lights out as you can be. There it's not a fluke. There you go. I yeah. think Trevor Hildenberger is a real find for the Twins. Uh, so he definitely deserves a lot of credit at the back of the bullpen. I don't know if he's like closer necessarily, but you know, 
great bullpens need a bunch of great contributors and I'm not comparing him just because they're both side armors, but like Darren O'Day in Baltimore. I was gonna say like I was gonna say O'Day or like a like a uh, was it Chad Bradford? Sure, yeah. Those quirky, yeah. tough to pick up. Like, don't throw ninety seven. I'm not just comparing him because he's a side armor to O'Day. I just mean that like that's a very great bullpen, or at least the construction of a great bullpen with Zach Britton at the back of it. Darren O'Day, who you can just kind of use everywhere and get a ground ball, and then Michael Givens. This is I'm talking about last year's Orioles bullpen. Um, the game in October is shifting to bullpens, and I think that the Twins found a winner in Hildenberger. He's been great. He's going to help get them there. I don't know what he plays out to be in the future, but he definitely is an unsung hero because I don't see a lot of people shouting his praises from the mountaintops like we were for Brandon Kinsler. Yeah, for sure. And uh, he definitely deserves them. Let's just move on quickly because uh, we got some other guys to get to. Bartolo Colon needs to be on this list. Yeah, Derek Falvey said when they signed him that uh, they found some underlying things that suggested he's probably been a little unlucky in Atlanta. And we said, okay, all right, guy, what is making a 44-year-old washed-up 20-year starting pitcher without velocity successful in your mind despite that he has an 8.14 ERA in Atlanta. In fairness, I, I would say to the critics, Bartolo still has a... F- the peripherals are still pretty questionable. He's giving up a lot of home runs. Yes. He's mostly only going like five or six innings. Yep. So the third time through the order is a huge, huge hurdle for him. And his ERA should be above five yes. if you're if you're extrapolating out with his fielding independent pitching. However, God. his actual ERA is just over four, right. and he has given you a lot more chances to win. If 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 he's going six and giving up three on a regular basis, I think you'll you'll take it, and then offense. you'll take your chances. Yeah, with the offense, and then just take your chances in in the last three innings with the bullpen. Yep, absolutely. And uh, I am not a fan of the quality start stat. I think it's dumb and it's made up, but it is. In the last six times that Bartolo has taken the mound for the Twins, they've won five of those games. Uh, I'm not saying it's 100% because of him, and pitcher wins is also a dumb stat, but the point that I'm trying to make is that like, when it should have all gone to hell in a handbasket for the Twins, in strides Big Sexy, mm-hmm. takes his starts, pitches admirably for the Twins, a 4 ERA through his first, what is it, nine starts with the Twins or whatever, including a complete game. For crying out loud, it's an improbable run. It's been impressive, and he deserves definitely some pub in the unsung hero category for the Twins. And my new Twitter avatar is in honor of Bartolo Colon at Phil Mackey. It's amazing, and I'm considering unfollowing you for that avatar alone. (laughs) Um, Actually, there's a lot of reasons. I'm just joking. But with with Colon... Don't overlook the fact that he's been great in the clubhouse, too. I know there's a lot of stats geeks like myself who would question, like, ah, does that matter? Chemistry, I'd just take a guy. I'd rather have a guy who has swing and miss stuff, takes the ball, and is durable. I don't care if he's an asshole behind the scenes. I can tell you from covering baseball, as a sort of stats geek that tends to take those things, like, all right, leadership, great, good. It matters. And it matters a lot more than I used to give it credit for. And for whatever it's worth, I don't know if it's a tenth of a win. I don't know if it's a half of a win. I don't know if it's five wins. Bartolo Colon has been a positive impact in the Twins clubhouse. I can tell you that. Um, Another starting pitcher that we're not really talking about a whole lot, Kyle Gibson. 
Kyle Gibson quietly has been very good his last seven starts. We did a whole podcast on him when we were in California, but it was kind of a, yeah, I don't know. Let's see. Let's see if this is for real or not. I need to see, before I call him an unsung hero, I need to see an entire month of really good starts in September. Sure. If he becomes a main reason for why the Twins wind up in a wild card spot at the end of the month, then I will I will circle back on good. this. But I'm gonna... like four good starts is not enough for me to all of a sudden change my opinion on Kyle Gibson. Yep, I'm going to uh, buy up your Kyle Gibson stock at a discount, and okay. I'm going to cash in in October when we say, "Yep, you know what? Kyle Gibson was a decent mid rotation down the start, mid rotation starter for the Twins down the stretch." His past seven outings, 3.29 ERA. I wrote a column about him the other day. I think Byron Buxton has helped him take another step forward as a pitcher. And, uh, you know, he's made a couple of changes. I wrote about him in the column. I won't bore you too much with him here. But personally, I think he's a different pitcher now than he was earlier this year. And I think it's helped get the Twins to where they are right now. So credit where credit is due. Yeah, if they can unlock his potential and ceiling, then good for the new front office and coaching staff. Market inefficiency, baby. For sure. Take a guy who probably should have been DFA'd and turn him into a mid-rotation starter. Yes. And And then multiply that by 20 pitchers. And that's a factor that just goes completely unconsidered, right? You think, well... Okay, here comes a new regime, and here are all the crappy players that are on the roster, and you have to get rid of all the crappy players. But there's very little consideration for it. What if you just like take some of the crappy players and make them not crappy anymore? What if you take Eddie Rosario and go from a free-swinging hacker to a legitimate, very good, possibly like four-win player right. out of nowhere? All right, you got something there. Um, so on that vein, credit where credit is due, and we don't really see all the time, Paul Molitor. How can we blame him for a 103-loss season and then not turn around and credit him for what the Twins have done? I think, personally, just from talking with Molitor on a on a daily basis when the Twins are at home, talking to players who've worked closely with Molitor, and then just sort of seeing his steady hand, whether the Twins were on a winning streak, losing streak, whether they were buyers, sellers, didn't matter. Paul Molitor's basically the same guy. I think that he deserves some credit for that. Um, and the other guy on his coaching staff that probably should get a shout that— I'm not really sure that we know yet his full value, but James Rousen has taken over a, I I wouldn't say a ragtag unit or anything, but like, it's not like you went into this season saying, oh, the Twins are going to have an awesome offense. You're like, yeah, there's some pieces that I like and Mm -hmm. they're building for the future. And if Sano and Buxton are great, we'll see. But he's overseen the complete turnaround of Eddie Rosario, Byron Buxton. Miguel Sano was a superstar until he got hurt. Um, maybe he still is, whatever. Um, it, it's been pretty incredible that top to bottom, the Twins have now become, I think I looked this up the other day, Phil, since the All-Star break, second in the American League in run scored and Woba. That's huge, yeah. Brian Dozier gets credit for that. Joe Maurer gets credit for that. But you just, you don't see an offense go from eh, middling to, whoa, that's a core strength of that yeah. team without, I think, personally, the insight and the uh, sort of just managing the process of a, of a great hitting coach. Yeah, Is it, that's the list. Uh, that's eight. Um, did I get to eight? No, because uh, also Joe Maurer and Brian Dozier, but sure. you knew that those guys were good. Right. Well, Joe, yeah, Joe Maurer probably warrants a separate special podcast, I don't know, sometime in the next couple of weeks because he's hitting over 300 this late in the season for the first time in about four four or five years and he's going to win the gold glove yes and he'll be one of the only players in baseball history to win gold gloves at multiple positions but 
Yeah, it is. I, I the only the only thing on that list. And I, I guess Jeff Pickler would be one that I could consider adding sure. to the list because I know he's been involved in lineup construction and different things like that. But sometimes it's hard to parse apart who deserves credit for what on a coaching yeah. staff because they're just keeping a lot of that behind the scenes and collaborating. And now that you've listened to the full list and the same thing that I did in the column, I'll tell you. It's all a crapshoot anyways. It is totally, uh, it is speculative. It is, what is the line of like, oh, he's not unsung. He's been <laughs> sung before. It's like, all right, I just sort of, I had a list. I had some thoughts I needed to get out, and there you go. There's my eight. So we'll, uh, yeah, we'll yeah, we'll just keep, we'll keep watching these Twins games, and we'll see if they can pull off one of the biggest turnarounds and standings comebacks when you go back to where they were a year ago in the history of baseball, be pretty crazy. And touch them all. We'll try to do the same thing in the podcast ratings world as well. Podcasts that matter.